You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I'm preaching on patience today, and I almost fell over when the word was given, remove the word haste from your vocabulary. And so I'm going to begin by reading two quotes from the Reverend Dr. King. And then I'm going to read a short text from the gospel, and we are going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, which is patience. Rob, you okay? (laughs) In a sermon called A Tough Mind and a Tender Heart, I suggest Google it and read it. Dr. King said, the soft-minded person always wants to freeze the moment and hold life in the gripping yoke of sameness. We have a tendency to find those moments that we felt we were our best selves, manipulate and hold on to those moments, and always assess ourselves by those moments forever. We want it to be like it was when things were at their best. And I love his phrasing, we, the gripping yoke of sameness. And then in a sermon called The Transformed Nonconformist, he said this, the transformed nonconformist, moreover, never yields to the passive sort of patience, which is an excuse to do nothing. Also, this very transformation saves him from speaking irresponsible words, which estrange without reconciling. He recognizes that social change does not come overnight, yet he works as though it were an imminent possibility. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises. Everybody say sleeps and everybody say rises. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. I was asked by one of our elders, who will remain nameless, to do a part two of last week's message. Last week we talked about feasting and fasting and the rhythm that there are times where we're supposed to feast and there are times where we're supposed to fast. And it wasn't just about food, it was about giving our opinion. There are times where it is exactly right for us to tell somebody what we're thinking and feeling. And there is a time where it is exactly wrong to tell someone what you're thinking, even if what you're thinking is right, even if what you're thinking can help them. The The right thing at the wrong time makes everything the wrong thing. And so there are times where we have to live hungry, hungry from our preferences, hungry from our opinion. As we said, hungry from needing the last word, hungry from having to let someone else know, even if they're not going to listen, at least they know what I was thinking. I was talking today to a few people and I was saying that as as God continues to work in my life, one of the areas where I feel like is, has been, like I've never been able to identify, but one of the areas that has been a struggle for me is the area where you hear something hypocritical and you so desperately want to point it out 
and the Holy Spirit says, don't point it out, and you say, I hate you, Holy Spirit, a little bit right now. You love us, have trouble loving you sometimes. So you have a moment where somebody's, you hear a person talking all about somebody else and how they're doing all these things wrong in the home parenting, and then all of a sudden you see them parenting and they're doing the exact same things that they were just criticizing person A about, and you are sitting there like, my God, I don't even care if they listen. I just need to let them know that I see the irony. There seems to be a muscle in our body that is strong enough to hold irony without having to vomit it out. And I'm praying that God strengthens that muscle in my body because sometimes holding on to irony is tough because it feels so good to point out to somebody so verbose that the way they're being is so hypocritically wrong. And sometimes we need to live hungry from indulging that appetite. I've realized I like to point out irony as much as I like to eat pizza. Me likes pointing out irony a lot. So I want to talk today about patience because patience is one of the only times where you fast and feast at the exact same time. When you're patient, there's something that you want to be doing that you don't do. So you're fasting a particular activity or a particular comment or something. You're fasting something. You're not doing something. You can't be patient and do everything you want at the same time. So in order to be patient, you have to fast a particular action. But patience is also, according to Galatians 5, which I tend to agree with what the Bible says, patience is also a fruit of the Spirit. So patience is something we need to eat and patience is also a moment of not doing something. So it's exactly fasting and feasting at the same time. You need to eat the fruit of patience in order to live strong enough to not do something that you really, really, really want to do now. And then the Holy Spirit says, remove the word haste from your vocabulary. You might want to write this down. Patience is not the absence of activity. It's the absence of manipulation. So like Dr. King said, the, pa the transformed person never yields to the passive sort of patience, which is an excuse to do nothing. Patience is not the absence of activity. It's the absence of a particular kind of activity that forces somebody into doing something quickly. So when you're being patient, you don't do nothing. You fast controlling outcomes. You fast getting something done now. You fast the now, and you work for the later. Fast, uh, patience is fasting the now and working for the later. God is patient. Thank God. Do you want to know proof of his patience? 
I'm going to exercise patience right now. <laughs> Proof of his patience is time. The fact that there's time is proof of God. Like, what does God's patience look like? His patience looks like time. The fact that there's time is because God is patient. God is not giving all of the discipline or all of the blessing that there is to give right now in the moment because time would end. So the fact that there's time at all means that God is patient. But there's even better news than that. Because Jesus says, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I am right now, beginning and end. Which means that in God, time always exists. Which means, wherever God is, there's always still going to be time. We act like when somebody dies, there's no more time. But wherever God is, is time. So if he's omnipresent, there's always time. That is where our hope is anchored. That there will always be time. You will never run out of time to experience his love. Because he is time. I am alpha and omega. I am beginning and end. I am all of time in me. So where he is, there's still time. So you can remove haste from your vocabulary and slow down and live what is called the unhurried life because there will always be time. What does it say in the book of Revelation? There will be a tree in the midst of the city and its leaves will be for the healing of of the nations, which means even in heaven, things that are still yet unhealed still have time because there's a tree that is still a healing tree even in God's paradise because there's always going to be time. Everybody okay? This is such an important message, and, and this, is, this is what's horrible about preaching. This is such an important message. I'm going, I just want you to know I'm going to mess this up all day today, just so you know. So I hope what Paul said happens, that God does something between my mouth and your ears that makes the sounds coming out of my mouth better than what's actually coming out of my mouth. So when it hits you, it's really not what I said. I just started it. But please, God, do something between my lips and their ears. I never feel nervous. I feel nervous. Because I want everybody, this is so simple. I'm not going to say anything. Like what I just said is probably the most complicated thing I'm going to say today. I'm nervous because I feel like somebody's going to miss it. So I need to be patient. <laughs> and give people time. Being patient is being loving because you're giving somebody in your life time. I want more for you, Aldo. But if I love you, I'll give you time. Always. Never ending time. You should never live under the threat to have to be something tomorrow. Because Jesus doesn't do that to us. I'm just picking on Aldo because he's almost perfect. Time. 
Some of you are the least patient with your own darn self. Give yourself time. You don't, I mean, if, if Dr. King himself can say social change does not come overnight and he died for that cause, he died because of that, but he still said this is going to take Mom and dad, patience is not total inactivity, and it's also not forcible activity. So for, for, for the parent, especially with young children, patience is not letting our kids do whatever it is they want to do in fear that we might harm some fragile ego. Let me tell you something, their egos are not fragile kids are insane. Did you hear that maniacal laugh of hers just now? You look so pretty, by the way, Sophia. So gorgeous. Letting people do whatever they want. We, we, have, we have slogans going off on, on stories on Instagram about be kind to yourself and, and, and don't hurry yourself up and, and let yourself be exactly who you are. Let me tell you something. We need to love ourselves, but we shouldn't always accept ourselves because there are some things in me right now that are unacceptable. And loving myself doesn't accept the things that are unacceptable. It wants to slowly over time have those things transformed. So there's a difference between accepting everything and loving. Loving always doesn't accept. Sometimes loving says this is unacceptable. But we also don't have to raise our children under the fear of 24-7 spankings and the threat of hell. We don't have to do that either because we don't want children who do good out of fear. We want children who do good out of being given time to grow. It is always more difficult to live in that middle ground. It's easy to say, I don't want to hurt their feelings. We're going to let them do what they want. I had, and I'm watching it happen right now. Praise the Lord. I'm watching it happen right now. Kayla just proved my point right now, and she doesn't even know it. I had parents say to me, should I bring my infants because I might have to take them out of the service? And here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, bring your kids. And if they act up and you got to take them to the foyer, then take them to the foyer. If you got to walk them around the building, walk them around the building. If you got to sit in your car and watch me on the live stream right now in the church parking lot, you brought them. Because church isn't about you getting something out of it. It's about letting our kids know that we worship something greater than our preferences on Sunday mornings. That's what we do. Oh, I can't bring them because they distract me. That's almost, you ready? It's not satanic, but it is demonic. When we get saved, we're no longer bound by the satanic, amen? But we're kind of still plagued a bit with, with, with the demonic, just a tiny bit. We cannot say, that, like, I was a problem. Growing, I was not easy. I know it's hard to imagine now, but I wasn't easy to corral and put into a vehicle and then bring to a place where I was constantly told not to talk. Amen, Mom? All right. 
but they kept doing it to their own hurt all the time. And I wasn't always in Sometimes I was outside. Sometimes my mom couldn't be in the service, but I, I grew up knowing this is just what happens on Sunday. On Sunday, we leave our homes empty like the empty tomb, and we go to meet Jesus in Galilee. That's what we do on Sundays. And so it's not right. Patience is not just saying, oh, we're going to let them do whatever we, they want. But it's also not constantly living under the threat of something painful. Whenever, and this isn't just parenting, this could be for marriages too. Whenever threat is the only way for us to get something done, we have ceased to be operating in the fruit of the Spirit. When bullying and intimidation and threat become the way that you get things done, like, only people who have no authority have to demand it all the time. So you got some pastors barking all day long about coming under their authority. They're doing it because they don't have any. Because authority comes from loving service, not from intimidation, not from being militant, from taking a towel and washing people's feet, and not enough leaders do that. So everybody take your shoes off. No, I'm just kidding. Keep your shoes on. Oh, now you want to listen to me? With ourself. Being patient is not letting ourself just be who we are right now. You are not how you feel. Regardless of what everybody out there is saying, you are not how you feel. If we let that happen, the world becomes imminently dangerous. There are times where we have to go against the way that we feel and realize something is unacceptable. I have seen a lot of doctors because of my foot. And that's funny. <laughs> and I finally said to the doctor in the city this past week, I said, how did that much break when I stepped on a Lego, I've stepped on stuff before. Why did my foot break in like three spots? And the doctor's like, well, it's the force. And I said, I didn't stomp on it. I stepped on it. And the doctor's like, how do I say this? And accidentally, in a moment of confusion, said, well, you have a lot of pounds. I'm like, that is the worst way to call somebody fat I've ever heard. I'd rather you just told me I was fat. I have a lot of pounds. Can you, she's like, no, you're, you're, not, you're not fat. You have a lot of pounds. Can you imagine, husbands, we accidentally said that one? Do I look fat in this shirt? No, you don't look fat. You just look like you got a lot of pounds. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die today. Basically, they were like, probably a few years ago, if you stepped on the Lego, you would have just bruised your foot. But now that you've accumulated some friends, we'll call them pounds, you all kind of ganged up on the Lego and it broke your foot. Well, I'm just going to be who I am, Doc. Well, then you're going to keep having bunions and Liz Frank fractures and getting surgery on your feet. There are t Bunions is not funny, Sophia. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with it one of these days and see. There are times where we have to say a change needs to be made. 
Because I love myself. I don't accept myself. I love myself. And sometimes, if I'm going to love those two beautiful women right there and all of you, i got to take better care of myself and make sure some things are not acceptable. Are you feeling me, Salem, at all? I'm trying to fall on my own sword so I don't say... So there are three elements to being patient that Jesus talks about in this short little parable. Number one, patience is cultivation. Patience is cultivation. Jacqueline preached an outstanding message the last time she preached on beating our swords into plowshares. And one of the things that she said was that when you want to do something fast and immediate, you have to use a sword. When you want to do something slow that will last a long time, it's a plowshare. So the only way to get things done now are to use swords. And swords don't cause things to grow. They cause things to be mutilated. Jesus talks to them. Here's the big movement that's coming, everyone. Everyone's sensing in me that the kingdom of God is coming, and everybody's wanting to know, Jesus, how is this going to go down? How are we going to do this? And he said, I'm going to tell you right now exactly what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And they're waiting for all of this amazing stuff. And here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven, and they're like, yes, yes, is like seeds that you sow. And they're like, no, no. That doesn't happen now. And he's like, yeah, you just sow them, and then you wait a long time, and nothing happens. And they're like, where's the other guy? I don't want to vote for you anymore. Let's get rid of him, literally. Patience is cultivating. It's not ceasing from activity. It's activity that doesn't demand change now. It's cultivating. God could have created the whole world in one day. But he creates it in six days to show us that not everything that needs to get done needs to get done today. That's un like, again, that's not one of those things where people are like, yo, say that again, preach. But that is incredible to an American, <laughs> that God had a lot he wanted to do and could have done it all at once and spaced it out because having time to breathe and rest is as important to God as what he had to do. So he begins working in the evening to show us every day, not just the seventh day, that there has to be a rhythm of work and rest if there's going to be good work at all. That's not just vocational work at our jobs, that's also the work of keeping every one of these relationships that I see together. Mom and dad, children, husband and wife, friends, you have issues, you make the issues worse by trying to fix them, fix them tomorrow. Let the healing and cultivating work of patience turn your issues into romance. Have you heard somebody ever get up on an anniversary or when they write their own vows? Most of the time I don't like that, but sometimes it's good. 
when people write their own vows, and they say, we've been through this, and we've been through that, and after all these years, and then they say the word still, I still, that word still means you took what was bad, and you reapplied yourselves, and you worked slowly, and now the word still is a romantic word. The Bible would call it a yet praise. I'm going to yet praise him. Why? Because there's something about it not being right now and me knowing it might not be right tomorrow, but that somehow we're going to get through this. That's turning issues into romance by saying they don't need to get done now because we're so good. This doesn't need to get fixed now because we're still going to be here five years from now working on it together. That's healthy relationships. Oh, man, we live in a world that wants to bail ship right away. Because our preferences get violated, and so immediately rejection follows the violation of our preferences. But really, we should let our preferences get walked on sometimes because love sometimes lays itself down and says, I know you. You're not the real you right now. But you can be, and I want to be a part of it, and it's going to take time. Yo, Jesus left, everybody. (laughs) Like, does anybody not just focus on this? That Jesus rose from the dead, nobody believed in him except for only a few people, and then he said, they're good, and left. And as far as I hope, he hasn't come back yet, otherwise, we all miss something significant. We haven't done a good job. She's like, no, I came back like last week. Oh, no. He's waiting and working. He knows you can be better, but he's not in a rush. He's still as patient as the day before you got saved. I said that intentionally. He's not in a hurry. You rush you more than he rushes you. He's unbelievably slow. So slow. The prodigal son's father cultivated, didn't force. Son came home. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? What must I do to enter eternal life? I've done everything. Jesus says, you have one thing. Go sell all that you have. And he's like, I wish I didn't ask the question. And he left. Did he ever come back? Did he ever come back? How do you know? There's one of our assumptions we make. You don't know if he came back or not. I think he did. Because the man who let him walk away is perfectly patient. He'll be patient all the way until there's no longer a need for patience anymore. We assume because we're critical and judgy little people that he never came back. But the man he walked away from is, is patience. Jesus doesn't have it. He is it. He's the fruit of patience himself. It says, and looking at him, he loved him and said, go sell all that you have. If the prodigal son's father could be so loving that even the prodigal returns, how much more the heart of God himself, Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, 
Remember the little guy? Little Zacchaeus? Yay high, probably. Climbing up in a tree so he could see Jesus. Everybody's offended right now. It's in the Bible. Zacchaeus was short. He climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. Got a little boost from somebody. Hiked me up in the tree. Climbed up there. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. He's like, oh, I didn't, didn't clean before I left. I didn't know we were going to be having company. Jesus doesn't say anything. And eventually Zacchaeus says, I'm going to sell everything that, I've, everything that I have from fraud. I'm going to give it back. What did Jesus do? Did he threaten him? No, he ate. He ate at his house. There's something about cultivating slowly. One of the best weapons you have in your home right now is anything that's in your fridge. Because when you put any kind of food or any kind of drink down on a table and say, sit down, let's just talk, how's life been? Lives change underneath the weight of those weapons. That's what Jesus does. He cultivates over time. And he uses tables and food and plates and cups and napkins to turn enemies into friends slowly. We haven't fully gone from enemy to friend yet, which is why we still are going to come. He's still inviting us. He's like, you're, just, you're all just still a tiny bit Judas, so keep coming to the table. I can't believe he just called us Judas. We do a lot for money. Second, patience is continuation. It's cultivation and it's continuation. The man sows seed into the ground. And then I think the most famous part of the text says that night and day he slept and rose. He slept and rose night and day. He sleeps and rises night and day. We have so much access to the Bible now, I'm afraid we, we don't read it enough. When, when I spent all week with these four verses, and all week something else just clicked and clicked and clicked and clicked until there's too much for me to even talk about today. But something that was so important is that he puts the seed in the ground, and then it says he sleeps and rises night and day. When there was nothing happening, when there was still unresolved issue, Unresolved issues are the place where lack of patience grows, where the weeds of being impatient grow and choke out the weeds of patience. Unresolved issues are where we execute control and manipulation and force, and it's where we're militant, and it's where we bully. It's where, just like ancient armies of old, there are two ways that ancient armies of old fought. They either were offensive and physically attacked you and cut you to bits, or... They used their weapons to intimidate you, but they never actually came to you. They cut off all of your supply of food and water. Those are the two ways enemies fought. They either came at you or they stayed away from you, but they cut off supply. And that's what we do to each other all the time. We either bash each other with our mouth and with words and even with our bodies, or we withhold relationship until the person shapes up. We starve them. 
by not giving them the love and respect and honor and courtesy they deserve because right now I don't like them very much. And so I'm going to pull my whole life back from them and I'm not going to be my best self around them until they become more of their best self or at least the thing that I think is their best self. Continuation. When nothing is happening at all, this man still sleeps and he rises and he checks and he sleeps and he rises and he checks and he sleeps and he rises and it's implied he waters he sleeps and he rises and he checks he he lays down nutrients he does he figures out what he can do but when nothing is happening he's still rhythmically active with two things rest and awake some of us are so impatient, and, and this is something I, I wanted to say all week long. Some of us are so impatient, we no longer sleep. Because for us, sleep can only come when things are resolved and predictable. We wake up in fits and starts. You ever wake up and feel like your sleep was more restless than being awake would have been? Last night I dreamt that a watermelon was chasing me, so that was probably nothing. I'm just kidding. Some of us are just nothing but awake, literally, and also metaphorically, just always sensitized, always being affected by the next thing that happens, on full alert, all the time where every little good shoots us to like this euphoric positivity, and every little bad collapses us to the ground. We're so awake that we feel every little crumb and bubble the same as if it was a sledgehammer. Like that kid's story of, uh, what was the, 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 the queen with the pee under the, under the mattresses? She had like 400 matches and still could tell she was on a pebble. What was it? Princess and the pee. That makes sense. I should have remembered that. We live like that, though. We can't be comfortable until every little grain of sand is exactly where we want it. Otherwise, we are just nasty, overbearing control freaks. Don't look at me. Don't look at me like you don't know somebody like that. <laughs> or we're only ever asleep. Not awake to anything anymore. It's either like insomnia or narcolepsy. Both naturally and metaphorically. Asleep to everything. Because, because this one thing in my life is, I want it to be here and it's here. Because this one thing in my life isn't where I want it, I'm asleep to all the other beautiful blessings in my life. Can't enjoy this blessing because this blessing isn't where I want it. As long as this isn't in my life yet, I can't enjoy anything until I have everything. So we're just asleep to all the good that we could be feasting off of to help us sustain ourselves through the things that still need work. Yo, I'm telling you right now, that I am preaching to somebody right now. Some of us are so, we have lost the ability to enjoy anything until we feel like we have everything. 
And sometimes it happens within the same relationship. Sometimes, husband and wife, you can't enjoy each other on Monday because other things aren't right. Maybe Monday was good, but that little voice in your head says, Monday was good, but at some point it's going to get bad again. And as long as I know that it might get bad again, I can't, I'm not going to let myself enjoy this. God has so much more for you. Jesus was full of joy, and nothing went the way he wanted it to go. For every healing, there were 10 false accusations. For every person he fed miraculously, there was somebody dying in some part of the world that had no bread. Every time one of his disciples said, give us this day our daily bread, that disciple wasn't giving somebody else their daily bread. But he was joyful because Jesus fed off of the things that were in place so that he could be held in place to be patient for the things that weren't in place. When we can't enjoy anything because something is out of joint. And I know what I'm going through is hardly anything compared to what I know many of you are going through. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to ever make this little foot issue bigger than it really is because I know from the bottom of my being that I have sat in my office with people who would kill to have my foot issue. But I will use it a little bit to just say, there's one part of me that isn't the way that I want it, and it's been that way for almost a year now. And, and my daughter's in soccer, and she's playing softball, and I can't, I, she asked me to play tag. I can't run around. Stephanie saw it before. I, I came down here when I was putting something, I almost fell down because that shooting pain just shot right up into my side. And every time it happens, I think, there, I, just, I, I want, all of a sudden, I'm keenly aware of the things that I can't do. I'm like, I can't go jogging, as if you would have. I'm mad that I can't exercise. Somebody smack me. Because if I was exercising when I could have, maybe the pounds of pressure wouldn't have shattered my foot when I stepped on the Lego. Yo, I'm so happy we have one service because I would never be able to do that again. This is so much nicer for my personality. It's all about me. Thank you all so much. <laughs> I love you too, Daniel. Patience is sleeping and rising, and Jesus is an absolute master storyteller because Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, Dan, sleeping and waking. He says sleeping and rising. And he uses a word that only Jewish rabbis used for the resurrection. Why does he say that? Because Jesus knows it's easy for us to go to sleep on an unresolved issue. It's hard for us to wake up to it again tomorrow. We need to be raised. We can't wake up to our problems. You, you have a problem right now that you will still have tomorrow. And that thought is too much for a broken human to endure. Let's be honest. Let's not be those super Christians who are like, I have no doubts. <clears throat> it's hard to know, especially after a Sunday where everything is just nice, that you're going to wake up tomorrow to that job, that boss, that traffic jam, that Zoom meeting. You're muted. 
You're, you, forget it. Stop telling them they're muted. Then you don't have to hear them. It's hard to wake up again to the things that we know are going to be there tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. Some of you have, a, have some issues in your marriage that are going to be there for a few weeks, months, maybe even years before they get resolved, before they get healed. And it's hard to wake up to it again. We need to be risen. We cannot wake up to the recurring issues of our life if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit into our life, if we're not giving him residence, if we're not creating space for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is so patient, he'll say, I'll just wait right here. We're like, I'm so glad that God doesn't force his way in. But sometimes I wish he would because I'm so stupid that I don't ever open the door for a God who just sits there and keeps knocking. He just waits. And sometimes we have to let him in. Because we need to be risen. Because you can't wake up tomorrow and have it be gone. And that thought hurts us. We need to be honest. It hurts knowing that I have an issue today that will still be there tomorrow. And depending on what it is and depending on how bad it is, it might rock your faith a little bit. Some of us might even be facing actual legit tragedy. And tomorrow we got to wake up under the blanket of that despair and that heaviness knowing, God, you could have done something and you didn't. How do we get up again? We have to be risen. It's the only way. It's the only way. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Because one of the ways that we stay awake, and you know what I'm about to say, one of the ways that we stay awake is we keep coming to this room. And we are in this room talking to you at home. I'm not, and you have to know this about me, I'm not anti-go on vacation. I'm not that at all. But I am, and I do have a problem with that thing in us that thinks that now it's so comfortable because I could watch it from over there, that five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 20 Sundays, I'm doing my thing. Raise your hand if you're healthy enough to miss this on a regular basis. Youch. That's my new thing. That's what I say to people now. I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll make fun of Aldo again. I was like, hey, hey, Pastor Bill. We're going on our 400th vacation this summer. I'm like, man, first of all, Aldo, congratulations. Because you have ascended to a level of health that I don't have. Because you don't need to be here. What has God done in your life so good that you don't need to eat from this table anymore? That's mean. I know. But seriously, you need the person that's on the other side of the room. You over here, you needed Tim to have his hands up today. And everybody right here, you needed to hear Carrie start worshiping into a microphone. And everybody up in that balcony hiding from the presence of God. <laughs> Always used to go up there when Marvin Gorman came. Back in the day, he was the guy who like knew what you did last night. And so I'd be like, yo, can I volunteer? I don't know how to turn on a light switch, but can I just do something with the soundboard up there? Because Creepo's back. And, and honestly, whenever he would come up to you, sometimes he'd be like, uh, can you turn the microphone off? And I'd be like, oh, my goodness gracious. Or if it wasn't me, I'd try to listen in like, what did he do? <laughs> Marvin, I have a calling in the ministry. You can tell me. What did he do? We need this place. 
Somebody said to me, I know, I know you want a lot of people there because you, you do better when there's a lot of people there. I, that, is, that makes me nauseous. This is fun. But if I wasn't here, I would be there. <laughs> when I'm not here, I'm there. I'm limping in here soon with a cage on my foot. I'm not anti-miss. Go away, have fun, enjoy yourself, Sabbath, do all of that. But really ask yourself, is the amount that I'm missing equated to the health I actually have? And it's not, just so you know, in case you were wondering. We need to be risen. We need to hear the call. I need to hear that he'll leave the 99. I need to hear that there's no shadow he won't light up. I need to hear those things. And even though I know them here, here needs to hear them as much as humanly possible. Because I, I won't share as well the things that are here as I will the things that are here. And if this is empty from the words of God, then I'm going to have to rely on this, and nobody wants that to happen. Sleeping and waking. I'm going to preach for a little bit more. Sleeping and waking. Jonah slept in a boat when it was in a storm, did he not? Who else slept in a boat in a storm? But those two sleeps are not the same. One is the sleep of avoidance. One is the sleep of trust. Jonah slept because he was avoiding the presence of God. That's that nasty, like, Tuesday afternoon sleep when you know you should be doing something. But, like, everybody on Zoom, like, thinks you're still on. And you took that quick nap and now you feel like garbage and dehydrated for no reason. I was just looking at Stephanie because her whole life is on Zoom. Obviously, that's not Stephanie. It's probably the people that are working for Stephanie. But if you're watching online, you're cool too. I hope you'll be okay. (laughs) There's a sleep that is the sleep of lazy avoidance. And there's the sleep that is the sleep of trust. And when Jonah was awake, he was doing a lot of activities. But there were activities that were causing him to not be in the presence of God. He worked hard at not having to be here. So there's also work that is the work of avoidance. Older brother in the prodigal son story. The work of following all the rules to actually avoid the father and not have to come face to face with him. So just because you're sleeping doesn't mean it's restful. And just because you're working doesn't mean it's, it's fruitful labors. There's a sleep that is toxic and there's a work that is toxic as well. What we all need to be saying is, Holy Spirit, show me which one I'm in right now. And finally, patience is concentration. The ear, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, but when the grain was ripe, at once he put in the sickle. So he saw the blade, not harvest time yet. Saw the ear, not harvest time yet. Saw the fruit, not harvest time yet. Then the fruit was ripe, now it is. Patience is concentration. There's a time when it is right to say the thing that needs to be said. There's a time when it's right, exactly right, to send the text message, to point out the irony, to point out the hypocrisy, to take a stand, to say no, to force something. There is a time when it's right for that. Read Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for yes. But you have to wait Until that time is exactly ripe. Don't say till the time is right anymore. Say, I'm waiting till the time is ripe. 
Because that is when simple words will now work where a barrage of words would have not worked at all. And it will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And guess what? There is no right teaching on 30, 60, or 100-fold because we've missed the point. We said, that harvest is going to be, I, I don't just want a harvest, I want the 100-fold. That's not the point. Jesus' point was when there's a harvest, sometimes it's going to be 30, sometimes it's going to be 60, and sometimes it's going to be 100 because you can't tell harvests what to do. You can't do anything so good that it will be 100 and not 30. Harvests are what they are, which means, and this is my final point, Salem, patience is us planning for, and every preacher will get up and say, we need to plan for a harvest. You know what else we need to plan for in our life? And maybe more importantly, we need to plan for famine. What made Joseph famous? He planned for famine. Right in the middle of Acts, there's this random verse that says, and one of the disciples prophesied and said, there's going to be a famine in the land. And all of the brothers and sisters got together and provided food. And then it never says anything anymore about whether or not there was a famine. But they were planning for it. You need to be ready for a harvest, and you need to be ready for a famine in real life, in your job, in your own self. Sometimes you're going to be living in a famine of self-esteem. It's just not going to be there. Did you plan for it? Are you ready for it? Have you filled yourself with enough of what God is saying to eat through those years and not be starving? And then there's other times where you need to plan for a harvest, and planning for a harvest doesn't mean you consume it. It means you have so much that other people who weren't working hard still get blessed because of you. And if anybody's ever said, this is mine because I worked for it and refused to share it, we don't understand what planning for a harvest means. I think there's a parable for this. Everybody worked in the vineyard for different amounts of time and they all got paid differently? Oh no, they all got paid because a generous God is just ridiculous like that. Worship team, come on up. Salem, let's stand for a moment. Yo, how much of a dork am I that a communion wafer just came out of my Bible? <laughs> Man. I want everybody to hear this last little story before we pray. There's a rabbi, his name is Rabbi Yuda, not Yoda. And the story goes that he had a dream. And in the dream, he died. And when he got to heaven, he said to the angel, is my name written in the book of those who kept the covenant? And the angel says, I'm going to read all the names of the people who died today. And the angel reads all the names. And as soon as the angel said a name, the rabbi saw that spirit go up and be with the Lord. But he never heard his name. And when all the names were done and the book was closed, he said to the angel, I didn't hear my name. And the angel said, I called your name. He said, you didn't. I didn't hear my name. And the angel said, this happens all the time. You never knew who you were. 
And when I called your name, you didn't recognize it. Because you were what you did. You weren't the person God loved. You identified by your own personal production, not by the God who says, productive or unproductive, I call you by name. If we're defined by what we do, not many of you in the room may remember him, but there was a young man who used to play the guitar for us many moons ago. His name was Luke Bucket. And Luke Bucket and I, for a brief period of time, were in class together at Dutchess Community College, not paying attention. And he leaned over to me one day and said, you do know we're human beings, not human doings. I was like, Lucas, what does that have to do with economics? <laughs> Some of us are so defined by what we do, what we accomplish, who we're with, the life we've built, that if God called our name, we wouldn't know he called our name because we don't really actually know ourselves. We only know our effort. And God is calling you right now. And he wants to introduce you to the real you. Not the you of your past successes or failures, but the real you. Not the you when you were at your best, that you, but also the same you when you were at your worst. Because you were you in both. As Randall Worley would say, you were you in everything you ever did. So while the worship team sings right now, let the Holy Spirit wash over you. Because when we fully learn who we are, it'll be easier to be patient. It'll be easier to know that there's always time. That you don't need to accomplish it tomorrow. So however that means, whatever that means for everybody in the room watching from home, just take the next five minutes and just let the Holy Spirit minister to you as the worship team ministers to you. And just ask the Holy Spirit, where am I hasty? Because I really don't know who I am. He wants to say your name like he said it to Mary. Mary. And she turned around and right away her brain was able to look past all that is natural and realize somebody just defied all the laws of logic and rose from the dead because when he said her name, she didn't just know who he was, she finally knew who she was. And she was always the person who could believe in the resurrection. She was always that person. But until he said her name and she heard it in the midst of her despair in front of an empty tomb, fully aware of all of her disappointments, when he spoke into that place of disappointment, feeling like I'm a failure, when he said her name, then she realized, I do believe in the resurrection. And that is the one who rose. He wants to say your name. Let him speak to you for a moment. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.